Hello, and welcome to Crossroads Christian Center, where we keep it real, simple, and about Jesus. Please enjoy this sermon, and don't forget to subscribe. Come on, keep your spirits open to the Lord this morning. Scripture says, wherever two or three gather in his name, he's in the midst. Right now, the Lord is here in our midst, and he wants to speak to you. You've been asking him to speak to you by singing these words. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Lord has a word for you this morning. The Lord wants to speak to your spirits. Because first and foremost, you're not a physical being. You're a spiritual being. You are not men and women of the flesh. You're men and women of the spirit. And God wants to release that knowledge and insight into who you are. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated for a second. I want to read a portion of Scripture as we're singing those first songs, worshiping the Lord. My mind went to the book of Hebrews. In the chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, it tells us one of the last things the writer to the church in Hebrews says is, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Do not be carried away by teachings that are strange or that are out of the ordinary for the Word of God. And in such, one of the things it says, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the thing that I want to encourage you this morning, I was sitting in my office earlier this morning and praying and saying, God, what, what, you know, what do you want to speak to your sons and daughters this morning? And the Lord said, turn over to the book of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians chapter 3, there's a section of Scripture that reads this. Starting at verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, Let the peace of, of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you hear that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart to God. And whatever you do, hear that? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as I was reading that, one of the things that stuck out to me was chapter 3, verse 15. It says something very, very clear. It's, it's literally a command to us. You know, it says that when you, he, he says, you know, one of the things my wife and I say all the time is that emotions are not good leaders. They're good followers. You know, we can get you really emotional in here and get you all, you know, hyped up and, and that's, that's, that's one thing. But if you are relying on your emotions to lead you, you're going to be disappointed. You know, I'm a big, I don't like professional sports that much. I'm more of a college person. I like college sports. Roll Tide, Tide won. One of the few teams in the top 25 that won, you know. 
And I was, I was watching college sports yesterday, and one of the things I love about college sports is the, the, the team rivalry they have, you know? So you have teams that are really, uh, they've got a great following. They have people that come to the stadiums and, and from all over the United States go to the games and watch them. They'll fly and see their games. And there's a lot of emotion in college football. But, you know, one of the things that happens with your emotions is you can let your emotions rule you. You know, how many people know that your emotions sometimes aren't the best leaders? You know, you're all, you know, you get all like Whitney Houston said, you get so emotional and then you do something stupid. And then you're like, oh, God, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, why did I do that? Well, because you were too emotional. And the word of God says this. It's really interesting because he says, and a lot of times when we read it, we don't grasp it. But it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And it's interesting, I, I looked in one of my, my, my uh, lexicons, my, takes the original language, looks at the original language of, of the text, and it said that the word that's used there for rule is, it has the connotation of dominion or authority. Okay? Follow me on this. When you allow something to rule over you, you give it dominion or authority over you. So if you have anger and you let that rule, what happens? You become a very angry person. If you have peace rule over you, what happens to you? Even in the midst of storms, you know, you can have a peace that passes understanding. Well, well, I don't understand why you're, you have such peace. You just got some horrible news. You just got some terrible, you know, doctor's reports. You just got laid off from a job. You just got this, you got that. And you just sit back and go, it is well with my soul. Why? Because you've chosen to let peace rule in your heart. Actually, the word that's used there in the original context is a word that is used for like a referee. In the, in the biblical times, they would have sporting events. They would have games. And the referee would be able to sit and call out uh, what was going to happen at a sporting event, much like today. And you know what the word is telling us? You have to call into authority. You need to put a higher level of rule and regulation over your life than your emotions. Emotions are not bad, but don't trust them. You know? You could have a really nasty pepperoni pizza right before you go to bed and have all kind of weird emotions later that day. You know? You can get in an argument driving up the 101 with someone you'll probably never see again, and your emotions can rage over you. But you know what the text says this? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, a modern translation of that may be something like this. Let peace of God call the shots in your life. Don't be worried about your situation. Trust the Lord that he's good. Didn't you, wait, didn't you just sing that? Didn't you just sing about the goodness of the Lord to you? So are you singing lies? Or are you singing something you believe? Because if you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, one of the things that's going to happen, he's going he's to call the shots. Well, pastor, you don't understand. Well, I do understand this, that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And if you're called as a son or daughter of the Most High God, even bad things that happen in your life, God can turn them around. You know why? Because Scripture says this. 
they intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Because a lot of times when you're going through a difficult situation, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. When everything's great, you're like, hey, I'm, on, I'm on cruise control right now. I don't need God because everything's going great. Everything's fine. And then you hit a speed bump and your chassis falls out and then you, you call on the Lord to fix it, right? I mean, is that the way we are? Come on. And what God wants you to do is God wants you to let him in control in all areas, in all situations. That's why it says here, it says that, and whatever you do, you hear this? Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, that's cutting the grass. Do it as unto the Lord. That's taking your dog for a walk. Do it as unto the Lord. That's going to work and working in an environment that may not allow you to have any Christian influence on the outside. But you have the peace of Christ ruling and guiding in your heart. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to, to rephrase this text because I love, I wrote this down and I want to read it to you. It says this, let the peace of God call the shots in your life. Let the Holy Spirit umpire the actions. Let him be the referee of your emotions. And then whatever you do, you will do it unto him. You see, so many times we allow outward circumstances or situations to affect us. And life, I'm, I'm, I know this, I'm not naive enough to believe that, you know, click your heels and they live happily ever after. Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of heartache. Life is full of pain. But you know what? There is one who is greater than all of that. There is one that said in the midst of your pain, stop. Let me call the shots. You know, in sports, if there's a referee on the field and the, the referee blows a whistle on a football field, the play is supposed to stop. And then the referee will render a decision that will affect not just the current situation, but the future events in that. And I want to challenge you that next time you're going through a situation and you feel your emotions starting to get out of control, I want you to just blow the whistle and say, stop right now. And ask the Lord this, Lord, I call upon you as the Prince of Peace. I, I call upon the one who is able to, to calm the raging sea, the one that's able to, to deal with all my emotions. Lord, I call on you, and I ask that you come in right now, and you still my heart. You know, my, we have our grandkids living with us, and one of our grandkids, uh, we were wrestling the other day, and he fell and hit his elbow you know, on the funny bone, which I don't know why they call it the funny bone because it's not very funny. It may be funny for other people, but not for you. And he was crying, and I put my hand on his chest, and I said, take a deep breath. Because what happens? When we're in the midst of something, sometimes we can't stop. We can't pause. But, you know, it's really important for us to stop and ask the Lord, say, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? I know outwardly it doesn't make sense to me to stop. It doesn't make sense for me to pause. But, Lord, I want to pause right now. And then do this. It's, see, it's a choice. This scripture in, first, or in Colossians 3.16 is a choice. You have to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You choose to allow his peace to rule in your heart. So I want to pray. And I want to pray this prayer over you. Because I believe in declaration prayer. Lord, I proclaim God's peace over each and every one of our lives. 
Lord, may your peace have dominion over each of us. Lord, I ask that circumstance and situations will never overwhelm us. Lord, I pray when they try to overwhelm us, they come in like a storm. God, you would rise up and say, peace, be still. I pray that, God, when they try to control us, we would just yield ourselves to you. Lord, I pray that our peace, when it begins to unravel, Lord, we would go to the rock that is higher than us. Lord, I pray that we would not put our emotions as a leader, but, God, we would put our emotions as a follower. I pray that, God, when situations come our way, that, God, circumstances come our way, that, Lord, we will just yield to your spirit. Lord, we sang songs about that this morning. And I ask that, Father, your Holy Spirit would release a supernatural, dominating peace that would guard both our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I declare this over your sons and daughters. I declare this through the name that is above every name, the name that every knee shall bow, even the the knees of fear and anxiety and depression. Lord, the fear of worry. Lord, we speak peace into situations. And if that's you, if you're dealing with any of those things, I, I just want you to say this. Lord Jesus, come into my situation. Let your peace rule and reign in my heart. Let not my emotions guide me, but let your spirit guide me. Let not my emotions rule and reign in my heart. But Lord, I give you permission to flood me with a peace that passes all understanding. In your precious name we ask. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. You may be seated. I'm going to have the worship team stay up here for a minute because there's something I want to share with you. How many of you believe you are growing in the Lord? Raise your hand. Do you feel like you're growing? Are you getting those, are those muscles being built? Good. You know what? I'm growing too. And one thing that you need to know is we all should be growing, right? But how we grow is through being challenged to change, right? I mean, you have to change in order to grow. Things have to become different, right? I mean, a child that isn't changing isn't growing, right? They're not being developed. They're not developing. There's something that this week happened in my life spiritually, and I'm going to share it with you because I felt that it um, directly affects this house. And it has to do with my uh, ministry, my life, my past, and what God wants to do in my present and future. Do I have you listening now? You always love a real personal story, don't you? So I want to say, you know, a lot of times when I've referred or Pastor David's referred to my spiritual heritage, it could sound as if it was some sort of um, easy street. But I'm going to tell you it's, it wasn't. And my grandfather, Chester Birch, my mother's father, was a man who was a part of the great revivals in the Northwest 
at the turn of the century. And God used him as a revivalist and as a healing evangelist in that region in powerful, powerful ways. Great revivals. They used to have um, those kind of tent service, camp meetings, um, brush arbor meetings. And if you look into the history, you will find that that happened and it was true. And God used him in healing specifically. But in his youth, in his young years, he had some tragedy. His daughter, his first daughter died tragically, very young as a toddler. The only blonde child that he had, he ended up having many children, my mom being one of them, all of them dark-haired. His only blonde child. And that tragedy turned his heart away from God, and it created an open door for such bitterness and unforgiveness that his ministry stopped, but he became a very perverse person, a very defiled person. And he entered into horrible bondages that affected my mother's family, my, my grandma, my mom, brothers and sisters. And I remember, even as a young child, encountering him, We'd go up and visit, and he had not yet um, became turned back to the Lord. He was an older man, and I remember talking to Grandpa, and I had mixed feelings at the time because I knew something was wrong, wrong because I was, as a child, a very spiritually discerning child, and he was not to be trusted. He did a lot of horrible things to people, and at the same time, I saw some very uh, interesting things about him. He was a great storyteller, loved his stories, the way he would tell these stories. But he had darkness in him because of his rebellion, because he knew the power of God in his life. And there was still, I believe, an element of faith later, later, way later into when I, I was a teenager, he did turn back to the Lord, but he had done a lot of harm to people before. When I was a teenager, this was before he had turned his heart back to the Lord, so it was more into my 20s when he had. But I remember going up to his house. Uh, we, I was going to be part of a, a wedding, and it was just my sisters and I. My parents weren't with us. We went up there. And when I got up there, I was supposed to be part of a wedding, I broke out into a blistering rash all over my body. And my grandfather, who wasn't serving God, who had done horrible things, came up. <laughs> Somebody, I think that's yours, kid. You're listening to my story, though, I think. <laughs> and he came up to my room, and he laid hands on me, and he prayed over me. And immediately, the rash was gone. Immediately. I remember that because that presence of Jesus entered into the room. But I want to be honest with you. I had mixed feelings about him. And I also had mixed feelings about healing because I saw this man that God used, but he was so awful in many ways, so rebellious. 
And I know that I didn't want to live a life like him. And yet I wanted to be used by God powerfully. But it was hard to separate those two things. And I didn't know for the longest time that there was a block in me. Because I wanted to live, I said, Lord, if I'm going to be a pastor, if I'm going to be a play, at a place of influence and stuff, I want to live a life of integrity. I want to live a life before people that I could say, follow me as I follow Christ. But there was something inside of me, and you know how when you don't yet have revelation, you don't know it's there. Do you, know, do you understand what I mean? That, that you don't yet know that it's there. God in time brings you to revelation of the block that is happening. And this week, he brought me to that. Because I was asking about this house, saying, Lord, I, I know you have called us to be a house of healing. But I want to see the healing flow. I don't want to be a talker. I want to be a walker. I don't want to be in the land of Nazareth. Do you understand what I mean? Where we hear that Jesus heals, but then we kind of process it and give every reason why he doesn't heal. And we block the healing power flowing. And in my thoughts I was saying, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord brought this back to me. And he said, Lynn, I'm going to redeem something in your heritage. So, so the Lord said, I am going to redeem the generational transfer of anointing from grandfather to granddaughter. It was lost due to sin, but I am the redeemer. And you are to redeem that which your grandfather relinquished through his rebellion and pride. And you are to walk with a double portion of the inheritance of this anointing. So today, a decree is going to be posted on this wall that things have changed. Now, I'm going to read to you now what initiated this whole thing is I had a dream from the Lord. I had a dream from the Lord, and this is why this revelation came when I inquired of the dream. And I'm going to, I wrote down the dream, and I'm going to share with you the dream, and then I'm going to share with you the decree that's going to be posted on the wall of this house. This dream was on October 8th, the night of October 8th going into October 9th. And this dream was about sickness and disease. And it wasn't just physical disease, but in every way, emotional, mental, physical, relational, financial disease. Disease can take on a variety of faces. And in this dream, I had accommodated a very ill woman who was very demanding and ungrateful. And she asked for more, and I gave it to her. And encouraged others to do the same. She said she was very ill and acted according to that manner. But then when she was not looking, I saw her running about laughing and mocking those of us who had accommodated her. Then I was furious. And I confronted her and said, you are a deceiver and a liar. 
As I was confronting her, she was mocking me, eating the fruit on the table. But I continued to confront her. I went around to the other pastors and people and pointed at her and said, she is a liar and a deceiver, and she is not welcome in this place. She will never be welcome in this place again. And then I said to her, when you go to others trying to convince them that you have been treated badly by me and that they should feel sorry for you, know that I have already told them that you are a liar and a deceiver and they will not harbor you. You must flee and never return. The door has been shut to you. You have been cast out. That was the dream. Okay. So then I woke up. And in my time of prayer regarding the dream, I said, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord told me to declare and decree over my life, ministry, in this house a new notice to change the course of daily ministry and experience. So here we go. This is the decree. I'm going to read it to you. Sickness and disease, I confront you as a deceiver and liar, and you are cast out. You do not have residence in us. You are not welcome here, and you are a liar. You parade around in deceit, mocking the cross and eating of the fruit of our lives. We cast you out in the name of Jesus, in whose presence no sickness, disease, or addiction can stand. I speak to mental, physical, emotional, relational, financial sickness and disease. You mock the children of God, the ones who have the breath of God in them. You mock those who have resurrection and power and life in them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your mocking is over. Your mouth is rendered closed, shut. The decree has been posted on the door of this house, and this decree states, by his stripes we are healed. This decree states that Jehovah forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. A new day has come. We will receive the healing of our God. The balm of Gilead is in this house, and it flows to everyone who enters here. The Lord says, I desire to complete my oath to you, Jeremiah 11, 4 and 5. Listen to my voice and do according to all that I command you. So you shall be my people and I will be your God that I may complete the oath which I swore to your fathers to give them a land of plenty flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. Then I answered, amen, so be it, Lord. Come on, come on. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. two things. Some of you, the Lord says he wants to, I, I, I do have a sermon to preach, but I want the, whole, the Holy Spirit says we're going to take time. There's two things. There's an anointing of, of 
healing power going to flow through this house. It is flowing through this house. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. And if you need healing in any way, I want you to step outside. I want you to step out of the city of Nazareth and get into the place or the presence of the Lord of belief. Nazareth was a place of unbelief. And the Lord says, we dwell in a culture of Nazareth. Why don't we see signs, wonders, healings? Because we dwell in a land of Nazareth. And the Lord says, I want you out of the land of Nazareth. And I want you to believe me. I want you to believe me. There are those of you that need healing. There's those of you that the Lord is saying, I want the healing flow to happen through you. Greater measure greater measure, not spotty, not here and there, greater measure. Holy Spirit, we're a powerhouse. This house will be known for the river that flows. And Ezekiel, and Ezekiel said, wherever the river flowed, it brought healing and life. Pastor David, as the father of this house, and maybe grab some more oil and give it to some. some come on, we're gonna we're we're people. You are you are powerful people. You're gonna be anointed today. Just stand there. You receive what the Lord has for you. You believe, 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 believe. Just go touch everybody that's standing. Everybody that's standing. Everybody that's standing. God either has to heal you, he wants to anoint you. You all, you go this way. Go, you all go that way. Yeah, you go to them. Go to them. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We declare, we decree. We declare, decree. Flow. Flow, flow, Holy Spirit. It is a new day. It is a new day. A suddenly, instantly, things are happening in the lives of people. Flow, Holy Spirit. God wants to use you. 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 Some of you have made it too complex. Some of you have made it complex in your mind. You have made the healing complex. It is not complex. It is simple. God desires to do it, and all you have to do is just pray for it. It's not complex. 
It's not for the elite. Healing power is flowing through you, through this house, to you and through you, to you and through you, to you and through you. Healing power flow. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I can feel your healing oil running down my brow. I wouldn't trade There are some of you in this room that the Lord is saying that the, you, you are the generation to redeem some of the things, the things that were lost. I only want to use the word some. The things that were lost, that were severed due to rebellion or sin, that you have a, an anointing on your life. And it, it's a, there's a generation, just like there's generational things that happen, there's generational blessing and anointing. And the Lord is saying, I want you to redeem the anointing that was lost. Maybe it was grandma, grandpa, great grandpa, great whatever it may be that got lost. Maybe it's been mom and dad and maybe you went away from the Lord. The Lord says, I want to redeem it. Healing power. Maybe God has called you to be a great preacher. It could be business. It could be land ownership, giving, wealth for the nations. Whatever it may be, the Lord says, I am a redeemer. I am a redeemer. I am a redeemer. And the, the testimony that I give is your prophecy. The testimony that I've given over my life about my grandfather and me receiving the anointing, the double portion, redeeming that anointing. You also have something that the Lord says, I want to redeem for you. You may say, well, my grandfather or my grandfather, they weren't even Christian. You know what? 
Guess what, though? There's things in their lives that the Lord wants to redeem, wash up, and give to you in double portion. Increase over this house. This is a powerhouse. This is a muscle church. Increase. The increase over your lives. Lord, if you say, you know what, there's some things I know I need to redeem. There's things that the Lord says need to be redeemed in my generation. I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high. Okay, come on. When you do that, you're making that commitment. We declare, we decree, we post over this house that we will redeem those things that were meant to glorify you, Lord, that somehow got lost or severed. But Lord, you said, I am the redeemer and I am returning those things that were stolen, lost or severed through sin or disobedience. And Father, you are taking and redeeming those things, and you are giving us a double portion for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. And Father, all you expect of us is obedience. We don't earn it. We don't strive for it. It's not by our own righteousness that we attain it, but it's by just simply surrender to you and obedience to what you tell us to do. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. How many minutes do I have? Doesn't matter. Praise the Lord. The Lord's good. Thank you, worship team. Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One thing I want to encourage you as you're growing, that you have to realize this, that results, when we're, results come from the inside out. A lot of times people don't recognize that it takes time for results to manifest, but at the same time, results are immediate, okay? Uh, it's kind of like, I don't know how many of you have ever been on a diet before. How many of you want to lose all your weight in one, like your extra weight in one day so that you can go back to eat all the stuff you want? And <laughs> so you say, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? And that's a little bit like it is. is the, actually, when you go on a, a diet or change your eating habits, the results are immediate, but it takes time to have the manifestation of those things physically, right? Because you started change. The change began. And as you built on the change, you begin to see the results externally or physically. And I want to encourage you with spiritual things. What you had is immediately something's changed inside of you. And then it builds and grows. And then you begin to see the results externally. So I want to encourage you to be committed to the change, be committed to the transformation that the Lord is doing in your life because we are, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So he's at work, just like what I shared with you in my testimony today, is that a new level of transformation for my life. 
new level of transformation. We keep going from glory to glory to glory. So I want to encourage you in that. Today I'm going to talk to you about confronting the lies that we believe is our need to be right. Interesting, huh? I need to be right. That's actually a lie. Our need to have others accept that we are right. And the fact is that you do not need to be right all the time, nor do you need the approval of the world in order for you to live out righteousness. So the external need to be seen, viewed as right comes from our pride, okay? And it's rooted in self-righteousness. Here we go. We have it right up here. We are to have the internal desire to obey God, which is right, whether others view it as right or not. Get that. Right? We are to obey God whether others view it as right or not. This is rooted in submission, surrender, and humility. So, a lot of times, especially now, we are to do the right things. But sometimes that's viewed as wrong in our world. And when we're trying to convince the world that we're right, it shifts to us being proud or prideful or arrogant versus simply being in submission to the Lord and obeying. Okay, so we're going to go into that. This is kind of a big issue in our culture right now is the need to be right. Because as believers... It's rooted in pride and arrogance. And I want to build on this because it's a little bit like at first hard to hear, maybe a little hard to understand. So our need for others to accept us as right is rooted really in our need for, for acceptance by the world. And these are things that are lies. We do, not to be, we do not need to be seen as right. You do not need to be seen as right. And actually, um, we are deceived sometimes when our rightness becomes the first priority. It creates deception in us, and it actually prevents healthy or a healthy identity in Christ and a healthy relationships with others. So we're going to go into this. I'm going to build this a bit. So our need to be right. Well, we live in a culture where we all believe ourselves to be right. I mean, any of you on Facebook, that will show us that culture is right there. And what happens is, is that we don't really walk in humility or in honor of others. Um, it has become our understanding somehow in our culture that if we are not right, then we are less than others. Okay? That has become our ideology. I have to be right because if I'm not right, then I am less than you. And we have become to believe that it is weakness to not be right. It's a weakness. And therefore, the mentality is I am right. But what has happened is, in this mentality, is that it creates a stronghold in our minds. And it even creates a stronghold to resist what the word of God says. It creates a stronghold to obey the word of God. And this stronghold can make us resist the very things that we need 
for health, for our well-being. This stronghold creates a barrier to freedom, to healing, to reconciliation, to walking with the spirit of humility and surrender. So we're, I'm going to go into first what was Christ's example to us, and then we're going to build on this a bit. Because we are to look like Jesus. And Philippians 2, 3 through 8 shows us what Jesus, what his attitude was, what his behavior was. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you to the interest of the others. Okay. In humility, value others above yourself. That's a big statement. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This scripture gives us clear direction. In humility, value others above self, looking to others' interests before your own. Have the same mind as Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself both in attitude and action. He submitted himself to Father God, even to death on a cross. Now, our need to be right is really cloaked in pride and arrogance. And our, and our holding to thoughts and ideologies about our rightness has a fortress in our mind. When we value our rightness over God's word and directives, we sustain a reason to not forgive those who have harmed us. So, did you hear what I said? When we have a fortress in our mind to be right... We do not forgive other people. Think about it. We value our rightness. And so when we have this need to be right, creates a fortress, I can't forgive because they still think I'm wrong. And they need to think I'm right for me to forgive them. How many times have I heard that in counseling? They have to see that I was right in this. Then I'm going to forgive them. That's the, that's your threshold. They have to, that person has to see that I'm right. And what happens is it creates a fortress in our minds so that we will not obey what God has said for us to do. Because we need to be right. And that sustained rightness creates a harbor in our thoughts. Harbor is like this protective place for us to harbor anger, offense, hurt, woundedness. I need to be right. That person needs to see that I'm right. Till they see that I'm right, I am going to, I can, because I prioritize rightness over everything, I can harbor unforgiveness towards that person. Oh, it's quiet. You guys were really, like, with me in healing, but <laughs> this is part of healing. 
So we can build a fortress in our minds and hearts. So let's look at that. It's up here. Fortresses are systems of firmly held wrong beliefs that squeeze the life of God out of the hearts of people. These internal structures are constructed through demonically inspired instruction. I'll get to that a little bit later. This shapes our souls and minds, and this fortress that has been built on a lie must be confronted and destroyed. Okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So what are we destroying? What are the fortresses that we are destroying? He goes in to say, we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. We are destroying the fortresses where in our own minds... In our own minds, what are these fortresses? Sophisticated arguments, exalted and proud thinking, unwillingness to accept the word of God to change our thoughts, unwillingness to accept the word of God to change our thoughts on a subject, on a person, on an event. All of these things are against the true knowledge of God, and it blocks us. It blocks us. See, the true knowledge of God develops greater intimacy with God. Knowing him. See, we are to, we, uh, Moses asked, teach me your ways that I may know you. His ways is, you know what, I'm going to, I want you to confront these things in your own thinking. And the need to be right is one of those things. So let's look at the need to be right or right relationship. What is the priority? The need to be right or having right relationships. Like I said, in counseling, pastoral counseling for years, and even in my own experiences in myself, as I've developed as a Christ follower, the need to be right blocks the willingness to forgive. And a lot of times in counseling, marriage counseling, for example, I, usually it's one person that comes in. It's difficult to get both people at the very beginning. And usually that person wants me to affirm their rightness. That's their priority. Pastor Lynn, look how right I am and how wrong he or she is. But that's not where we need to be. That is the fortress that actually needs to come down in our minds. It is the barrier. What does God value? Does he value right relationship or the need to be right? We know that God values right relationship because he himself, who is righteous, was willing to come and break and build the bridge back to us who are clearly not right. And he took on all the blame for our sin because he valued right relationship. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? His desire for relationship was greater. So he said, you know what? They're so cloaked in sin, they will never get it that they're wrong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay my own life down to build a bridge back to them so that I'll take on all of their blame, all of their sin, all of their wrongness. That's God's example to us. He took all the blame for our sin. Therefore, can we truly be right without being in right relationship? Typically, this whole concept that I'm confronting has to do, when we have the highest priority of being right, it destroys relationship. It's like communion. Well, Matthew 5.24, Jesus says, before you bring your gift to the altar, what does he say? Go and make right your relationship. Go and reconcile with others. That's what my priority is for you. So we look, according to Scripture, not to our own interest. When we have the priority of being right, we are looking to our own interest. But Scripture tells us not to look to our own interest, but to the interest of others. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, it says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make some effort to keep the unity. No. Make, Pastor Lynn, I already tried. I tried once. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There are some big statements here. Completely humble, not partially. Completely gentle. What's gentle? Controlled power. Do not use your power. Refrain from harming those with your power. Patient and every effort, every effort. See, he's talking here about agape love, making every effort to keep the unity. Not some effort, but every effort to keep the unity. Jesus is a great example of building back the bridges to those who are wrong. He even gives the example of he leaves the sheep, the 99, that he's all right, that are all in communion with him. And he leaves the 99 to go get the one that he has to build the bridge back to. He is humble to go leave the 99 and go get, he humbles himself to do that. And some of us, and I want you to hear this, because you say, how is this house going to be filled? I'm going to tell you how this house is going to be filled. Some of us need to build a bridge back to family, people, friends, neighbors. We blew up that bridge because we needed to be right. Let it rest. But I was right. And the Lord says, you go, you, you're waiting for the phone call from them. And the Lord said, wait a minute. You're to be like Christ Jesus who built the bridge. 
who humble themselves. You make it right. You make it right by building the bridge back to them. Make every effort for unity. I know that's hard to hear. But it's truth. It's truth to hear. Well, they're going to they're going to say, "Well, you're admitting you're wrong." So what? So what? You're doing what Jesus did for you. He built a bridge back to you. You had no clue you were wrong. You had no clue you were wrong, and he built the bridge back to you, humbling himself to do so. You see, we can be right in the wrong way. A positive, I had to look this up because I hadn't had math in such a long time. A positive plus a negative equals a negative. I had to look it up though because I was like, I think so. I think it equals a negative. It does. The truth is this. We can speak truth to people and leave out the grace and it leaves people wounded and judged. And there's a lot of that going on in our culture John 1, 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He walked full of grace and truth. Why was he called a friend to sinners? Because he accommodated sin? Because he agreed with sin? No, because he was full of grace and truth and he built a bridge for them so that they could be reached by him. Example, the woman caught in adultery in, in John chapter 8. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery. She's dragged out by the Pharisees. They circle her. They want to stone her. They're giving a test to Jesus. And the truth is about the woman in adultery, she knew she was wrong. But guess what? Her accusers did not know they were wrong. The Pharisees had no clue that they were wrong. They just thought she was wrong. Because they had self-righteousness. They had pride. They had arrogance. They could not see that their wrongness was birthed in their need to be right. Did you hear me? Their wrongness was birthed in their need to be right. And Jesus showed them their wrongness when he knelt down and he began to draw right in the sand. Because for Jesus, it wasn't about who was wrong. It was about restoring right relationship. Restoring right relationship. Forgiveness is no important is more important. Forgiveness is more important than anything else. Colossians 3:12 and 13 says this. So as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-beloved by God himself, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's a big list. Which has the power to endure whatever injustice. It has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper. 
bearing graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has a cause for complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so should you forgive. Willingly forgiving one another, being full of grace and truth. Grace first, truth second. Because have you ever had somebody say things to you without grace? It feels very differently than somebody sharing something with you in a attitude and spirit of grace and love. The need to be right comes from human pride and arrogance, and it's never blessed, and God opposes it. God opposes pride. Doesn't matter how right you are, God opposes pride. A good example of this was the story of the prodigal son. We like that story, but a lot of times who gets left out in this story as an emphasis is the older son who does the right thing. In Luke 15, 25, when the, the, the younger son comes back and the father has restored him and he's getting the big party, let's look at what the older son who had done the right thing by his father, but he had the wrong attitude. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. That's what I want you to underline. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the father's house. He chose to be right more than right relationship. And now he has broken his relationship with the father because he will not go in. He has chosen to step outside of the blessing of his father because he has the need to be right. He didn't go off and squander his inheritance. He remained in the father's house until he became offended. Offense. And he would not enter into the father's house because he was offended at something. The prodigal is wrong, father, and I'm not going into that house because he's wrong. And the older son became wrong through his offense. See, the older brother was technically right, but had a wrong attitude because he became self-righteous and graceless. And we are a people of grace. We have been birthed into the kingdom of God through grace. So we are people of grace. Humble response is a sign of true godliness and maturity. I just read this scripture a bit ago, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. When we have a life of humility, it is a sign of true godliness and maturity. It's not how much power flows through my life with signs and wonders. That's not the sign of maturity. Because God gives his grace, he graces gifts with everyone. What's the sign of maturity is when we have humility and we are able to surrender to the Lord and graciously bear with one another. 
So true holiness and spiritual maturity means that I am compassionate, I am kind, I am humble, I am gentle, I am patient, I am gracious toward other people. When we are focused on being right, and this is a real emphasis, when we are focused on being right, it prevents confession, repentance, and healing. It keeps us in a broken state. If you keep facing the same thing over and over and over, maybe in relationships that you have that are broken up, you might go back to saying, are you prioritizing your need to be right? Because it's preventing confession, repentance, and healing. Because scripture tells us that we are healed through confession. And to confess, that's one thing that nobody wants to do. We don't want to call anything a sin because we confess sins. But confession causes us to be in a humble state. When I confess something, I have to humble myself. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to each other. That's a humbling thing to do. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. But when we are fixed on being right, we are in opposition to God. When we are fixed on being right, we are in opposition to God. And we do not recognize our wrongness of pride and our self-righteousness which produces unforgiveness. Matthew 6, 12, in Jesus' prayer, he's teaching his followers to pray. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word as is very important. We are forgiven as we forgive others. They say it's the completion of the cross. You look at the cross, this is our relationship with God. Vertical, horizontal is our relationship to one another. It is related to one another. The same measure of forgiveness is received as the one we give. This is not really emphasized that much. We like to be forgiven, but when we are wronged, we don't want to forgive. And Jesus comes down hard. The one who came and gave his life and suffered and shed his blood for us comes down hard on his hearers about forgiveness. He tells the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 8, 21 through 35. He comes down hard on the fact that we are to be people who forgive. This is what he says. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? This is from Peter. Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. How many? 10,000 bags of gold was owed to the king. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, 10,000 bags of gold versus 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, this is Jesus' conclusion. This is Jesus. Remember Jesus' love? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Period. <laughs> Period. See, he is address. See, this is the thing. Forgiveness is for you. There is unforgiveness has great toxicity for our spirits and for your bodies, for your emotions, for your minds, for your relationships. Remember my grandfather's story? The reason why he ended up in a depraved state because he became bitter and unforgiving. See, the effects of unforgiving and forgiveness relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually is immense. And yet, we can hold on to the fortress of being right in our minds, which prevents us from forgiving. Demonic activity is connected to unforgiveness. That's, that's not a very popular message, is it? Demonic activity. Why is it that demonic activity in the lives of people, bitterness and unforgiveness, is, is connected to unforgiveness? It's because we have created a graceless zone and we have made it lawful for the enemy to be present there. We, by our own decisions, make it lawful for the enemy to come and be present there because we have chosen not to forgive. And I'm challenging you to search your hearts and your relationships and take down the fortress of your need to be right and your willingness to say, you know what, I forgive. I forgive. Because the last thing you need is demonic activity in your life. An open door to that. And I'm telling you, my grandfather is a great example of that. There's a story in the book of Acts that had to do with a man who actually got saved, Simon the sorcerer, who wanted to get full of the Holy Spirit, but he could not, according to Acts 8, verse 18 through 23, he could not because Peter says to him, your heart is not right before God, and at the, in verse 23 says, for I see that you are full of bitterness, bitterness. You are full of bitterness, and it's preventing the fullness of the Spirit in your life. We cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit when we are harboring bitterness. Bitterness is like a disease of gangrene. Bitterness is like leprosy. Everything we touch, it affects. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles how many? Just you? No, others, many around you. It is dangerous 
you do not, I'm going to tell you this, and I say this to myself, that's why I'm going to say it to you, I do not have the luxury of being unforgiving. I will not harbor the luxury of that because it costs me being full of the Holy Spirit. It costs me in being used by God. It costs me my freedom. It costs me my health. It costs me having not having the mind of Christ. I do not have the luxury of being unforgiving and bitterness. And somehow in our culture, it's a little bit exalted uh, that you can. You have the right to be unforgiving. You have the right to be bitter. Well, I'm going to tell you in the kingdom of God, because you have received the greatest grace you'll ever receive from the Most High God, that luxury went out the door. And, I'm, and I am challenging you for greater flow of the Holy Spirit in your life to get rid of unforgiveness, to get rid of bitterness, to get rid of, and I, this one is a biggie in the church, offense. I'm offended. Get rid of offense. Offense is pride. You know what? The, the, the older brother was offended and he left his father's house. How many people leave the father's house because they're offended? And what happens to them is they have stepped outside of blessing. They've stepped outside of blessing. And most of the time, I would say all the time, they become fodder for the enemy. They become the sheep that's out there on their own with the wolf pack right on its tail. Because of offense. Because I have the right to be offended. I'm telling you, you don't have the right to be offended. Let go of that release it it's freeing to you because the lord wants you free james 4 6 but he gives us more grace that is why scripture says god opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble how many times did jesus offend the pharisees he offended them all the time offended them all the time you see when we let go of our need to be right we are free we are free. You can be free. Well, they didn't think I was right. Well, so what? That's okay. Just keep walking. The world's not going to think you're right. It's okay. You can still love them. You don't have to burn the bridge. You don't have to burn the bridge. Well, you know, I have a difficult relationship with my son or daughter because they're off doing the wrong things. And I just said, so I haven't talked to them. Guess what? Make the call. Build a bridge. Keep loving on them. Keep loving on them. Keep loving on your neighbor. Keep loving on your friend. Keep loving on your family. Keep loving them. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be right. But the Lord says, I want you to have a right relationship. Worship team, come on up here. Scripture reminds us in Isaiah 64, 6. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says about love. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive. You got that? Nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. 2 Corinthians 
5.21 says this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. He took on our wrongness so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I'm going to encourage you to be Jesus to others and you build that bridge. You build that bridge to those people who there's been broken bridges with. Is there, has there been broken relationship because of a need to be right? Is there any unforgiveness or bitterness that is present in you that's like gangrene or leprosy? I know you go through tough things. I know you do. I've been through tough things. But you know what? When you've forgiven, those tough things don't have the power over you. They don't motivate you or control you at all anymore. The Lord wants you free. He wants you to walk in humility. See, walking in humility, you don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. Somebody says, you're wrong about that. Oh, okay, well, I was wrong. So what? You know, okay, I received that. If you're going to ever be used in prophetic ministry, you always say, hey, I could be wrong about this, but this is what I feel like the Lord said. You know, and you can take it or leave it. It's up to you. I want you to stand. Some of you, the Lord sent this word to you today. Freedom over you today. Do you... Is the Lord bringing to you a relationship that needs to be made right? Is the Lord bringing to you someone, it could be even a group of people, they can even be faceless, it could be something, it could be a job you had or something, that you say, I need to forgive, forgive. We take down the fortress of the need to be right. We take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who humbled himself. Humbled himself for the cross to build back the relationship to us. He took on our wrongness. He was clearly right. The mighty God, clearly righteous built the bridge back to us who were wrong and took on our wrongness so that we could be free. And now we go and we do the same for others. We hope you were blessed, encouraged, and challenged by this week's sermon. See you again and remember to hit that subscribe button for our next episode. God bless and remember, we keep it real, simple, and about Jesus.